Thank you, Nick. You're too kind. Uh, I tell my kids all the time that when I was younger, I asked God to give me boldness, but I did not enunciate. Thank you. Well, most of what Nick said is true about me. No, all that stuff is true. I would like to share a little bit more about myself just to get to know you guys. Uh, thank you, Adam. Scott, great meeting you tonight, brother. Thank you guys for the work that you do here. I am a recovering college pastor, and so I love being on campus um, as a former college athlete as well. Stepping into an environment like this is, is a lot of fun for me. So let me tell you uh, a little bit about my family. Here we go. So this is my crew. Uh, these are my babies, including my Jeep. That's my youngest baby. This is our dog, Murray. And the reason I show Murray's pictures is that uh, if you don't like dogs, you're of the devil. And it just wins people over, right? Okay, cool. Uh, my three sons, uh, this is Jackson. Uh, Jackson, we adopted him uh, out of the foster care system uh, here locally. The cool thing is the adoption date was actually Valentine's Day uh, back in 2017. So that was a, a pretty sweet uh, occasion for us. Gabe over there with the long hair that I used to have when I was his age is a senior in high school and he is probably going to end up down the road at NC State. And Elijah is an eighth grader. And this is my wife, uh, Katie. We've been married 18 years now. And uh, Gabe was basically a honeymoon baby for us. So 10 months and 10 days after we got married, we had a kid. So if you want to ask me any questions about what it's like to be married without children, I have no idea because we have never done it, okay? Uh, the cool thing about my wife, she's a realtor, she's in real estate, and she's an ultra marathoner. So uh, she, on purpose, ran 53 miles one day, and she paid to do it, which is just insane. I think the most I've ever done is nine, and like there's nothing in me that wants to hit double digits, and so I just stopped there because I'm sane. Uh, but she, she is phenomenal. Have any of you ever been to Rio de Janeiro? No? Ever heard of Rio de Janeiro? You kind of raised your hand, have you? You have? Cool. What'd you do there? Okay, that's cool. Alright, awesome. So there's my small little hometown. And when people ask the question, you know, do you prefer uh, beach or mountains? I'm like, you have to choose. Just grow up in Rio. Uh, the most famous picture of Rio is coming up next. Statue of Christ. This is the Sugarloaf Mountain. If you go back and watch one of the old James Bond movies, uh, there's a scene that takes place right there. Uh, so a little bit of our story. Go on to the next one, please, Scott. Uh, back in 2012, uh, the Chapel Hill Bible Church. So I'm one of the pastors at Chapel Hill Bible Church. I've been on staff since 2007. Moved from South Carolina to take the job at the church. And in 2012, the church sent us to Berlin, Germany, to help uh, start a new church. A crazy story, we've been partnering with a congregation in Kenya for almost 40 years. The Kenyan church trained a German pastor to go back to Berlin to start a church. And because I majored in German, because that's what all the cool people do, uh, they asked me to go and to be the worship pastor at that church. Uh, so we were there for uh, a little over a year, and this was before Jackson joined our family. This is in Berlin at the Fan Fest of the Euro Cup uh, 2012, uh, where, you know, like literally like 100,000 people would just gather on the street in Berlin and watch the games. So next one, please. This is just to give you a sense of how complicated my family is. Okay. This is in 2014 in Brazil during the World Cup that shall not be mentioned. 
And this is Elijah wearing a Brazil shirt, Gabe wearing a USA shirt, and they both have Germany flag on their faces, right? So very multicultural home. Uh, you ask us, you know, where home is, and we're like, I don't know. It depends on the day that you ask it, okay? So that's a little bit about our family. Uh, what I want to talk to you guys about tonight is something that may surprise you as a missions pastor. Maybe you think, okay, this guy's going to come here, and he's going to tell me, you know, I got to give up whatever career aspirations I may have in my life and uh, just move all the way across the world and serve in the jungle and take the gospel to people who have never heard it before. That is not at all what I'm going to share with you guys tonight, okay? Hopefully this isn't new, but I think it's something that most churches don't talk about enough. And it's the relationship between the mission of God and our work. And the reality is, you guys are students right now, you're student athletes, but when you finish... You're going to work, right? Uh, many of you, some of you may continue to work in sports. By the way, Brian Miller, if you guys know him, Brian says hi. Uh, he goes to our church, and I was texting him earlier. He unfortunately was not able to be here. Uh, he was drafted in 2017 from the baseball team here. But the thing with work is that we have a really complicated relationship with it. I know you guys are too young to remember this, but I was in college when Facebook came out. And, you, and one of the options that you have was to like state your status on there. And one of them was, it's complicated. You guys ever seen that one? Okay, it's complicated. And I think that's the relationship that Christians, that most people actually have with work. We either love our work and we idolize it and we worship it, we make it our God, or we hate our work, right? Shows like The Office, anyone? You can admit that you watch it, it's okay. Yeah, shows like The Office. I mean, you know, these stories about having bad bosses and your, your work being boring and being meaningless and, and your colleagues are a bunch of idiots. I remember in college seeing a, a cartoon that said uh, calendars in hell and every day was a Monday. Right. So we have this perception like, oh, it's Monday again. You, you work just so you can enjoy the, the weekend. And so we grew up in this culture and this environment where we see work as being this really negative thing. Well, on the other hand, sometimes we actually idolize our work and we give way too much time and way too much attention towards that. Any fans of the band Coin? A couple of you guys? All right, cool. Uh, they've got a fantastic song called, uh, I think the name is Cemetery. And here's what, the, here's what the chorus says. He never made time for the family, but he is the richest man in the cemetery. He only made time for the company, but he is the richest man in the cemetery. And guys, I wish I could tell you that this is just a fictional rendering of something, but that is so true of so many people's lives. They give their lives so completely to their work and to their work obsessions that they ignore all the other things. So how should you and I as Christians, how should we view our work? Is it a necessary evil? Do we work just to make it through the weekend? And when it comes to roles like about your future, am I more holy because I'm a pastor? You know, are pastors more holy than painters? Are missionaries more holy than mechanics? Depending on who you ask, some people might say yes, that the greatest calling in your life is to be a pastor, is to be a missionary. But I don't think that's what scripture teaches. And I want to encourage you guys with that tonight. And yes, I really am a missions pastor. And I want to encourage you guys to have a rich view of what work might look like. So what does the Bible have to say about work? I want to share two things with you guys tonight. One, really quickly, uh, the biblical overview of work. I want you guys to see what scripture says about work. And then uh, I want to give you implications 
for our work. All right? So two categories, biblical overview and implications for our work. How many of you have heard the term the cultural mandate before? Raise your hand if you've heard it before. All right, staff people, that's good. All right. So if that had been one of the questions, they could have put several of your names and many of you would have been correct. All right, so the cultural mandate, that is a term that theologians give to a certain passage in the Bible. Uh, you know, you've heard of the Great Commission, right? As you're reading your Bible, that's not in the original text. I'm sure you guys know that. That is a, a category that has been created to explain what that is. The cultural mandate is another title like that. And it comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Can you guys read that? Kind of. If you want to just jot it down, uh, I will highlight a couple of things for you guys. So the cultural mandate is basically the summary of that definition is the mandate that scripture gives us to create culture. So what happens here? You guys are familiar probably with this, with this passage. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So verse 27 right here, bold and underlined. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now he creates them. Now what we read prior to this is that God has spent five days kind of creating the environment. Creating the place. Guys, place is so important in scripture. It is so important that you guys, while you're here for your one, two, three, four years, some of you five, maybe, right? Uh, however long God calls you to be here, guys, let me encourage you to put deep roots. Look at how much time God in creation spends creating a place for his people. And then he creates the people for that place. And Eden actually means paradise. Now, when I think of paradise, guys, I think of being back on one of the beaches in Brazil, soft sand, Beautiful sunshine. I'm on a hammock. Coconut. You guys are, you're going there with me, right? Okay. That sounds like paradise to me. This is not the paradise that the Bible describes. The paradise that the Bible describes is God giving them a job. Do you see that? He creates paradise and then he doesn't say, chill out on your hammock, on your Eno, and go have a great time. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But even before he says that, what does God do? God blessed them. This is an important principle in scripture, guys, that God blesses before he commands. And so we respond to his commands out of his blessing, not in order to earn his blessing. And we get that out of order so often. We think, okay, I'm going to obey God so that he will bless me. We need to understand that God's desire, his heart is to bless you. And so when he gives you a command in scripture, it is for your good. It is for your good. And we need to trust that. So work is a pre-fall blessing. If you're taking notes, this is one of the things I'd encourage you to write down. Work is a pre-fall blessing, not a post-fall curse. Did work exist before sin entered the world? It did, didn't it? Does God say everything was good? Everything was very good, including work. And we so often approach work as if it were this evil, evil thing. Do you guys know that there's going to be work in the new creation? Scripture tells us we're going to continue to work. It says we're not going to toil anymore, which is that, that hard labor of, of you know, the things that we do. They just don't work out. The crops don't grow and the houses fall apart. That stuff's going to be gone, but we're going to continue 
to work because this is what we were created to do. Now, it's really significant that uh, this passage here that says that he created man in his own image. In the ancient Near East, whenever a, a king or an emperor would conquer a new land, you know what they would do? They would put a statue of themselves in that place. So think of like, uh, you know, the U.S. And the, and the moon landing and putting a flag there. You're kind of saying, this is ours. When God puts man and woman in Eden, that is what he is doing. He is saying, this place belongs to me. We are his image bearers. We are his representatives. Okay? So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to put some people there. He's actually putting us there to represent who he is. So we have this royal role, and that's really hard to say five times fast. We have a royal role that God has called us to. And that role is to do what? It's to be fruitful. It's to multiply, to fill the earth. Look at that. Just appeared bold and underlined. That's amazing. And, and to subdue it. And these are, these are words of, of authority and of power. I mean, think about the job that Adam and Eve were given, given. They were given the job of naming. Think about how important that is. One day, if God calls you uh, to, to be parents, you'll have the, the privilege and the sometimes scary opportunity to name a child. You know, no pressure, guys, but they're going to be known as that for the rest of their lives, so don't mess up, okay? But that act of naming is, is such a beautiful and powerful thing, and that's something that God has given humanity as a role to do. So what was the work that they were given? They had to till the garden, keep the garden, and that's the very place that God chose to walk with them. They subdued the animals, and in doing so, they were reflecting God's control and domain over all creation. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was a, a British author, and she said something really fascinating that I want to share with you, and that you guys will actually discuss a little bit later. And she says this, that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. Let's read that one more time. Work is not primarily a thing that one does to live, but the thing that one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. Guys, work was not something that was given so that they could live, but they were actually created in order to work. And that work was not just the kingly role that we've talked about, but it was also a, a priestly role. If you look at the description of Eden, and we don't have time to go through all of this in detail, but so much of the language of what Eden was, was the language of, of a temple. And the role for us as Christians is to expand that Eden, to expand the kingdom of God. How many of you guys have watched the show WandaVision? You know about, you guys remember the, the hex, right? So there's like this bubble that keeps people kind of trapped into this place. And, it, and there's one scene in one of the episodes where Wanda causes the hex to expand. And, and I love that image of like, this is what we are doing as Christians. We are expanding the boundaries of Eden around the world. Or any fans of C.S. Lewis and Narnia, if you've seen the movies, the books are so much better, right? Can I get an amen on that one? All right. But the movies, there's a scene in one of the movies where Aslan is stepping on on some snow, and every time he takes a step, the snow melts away and flowers start to come up and to bloom. I love that image. Guys, that is what we are called to do. You as a student athlete, as a, as a future professional, whatever industry God calls you to be in, you are stepping in as a representative of the kingdom of God, and you are helping to expand the borders of the kingdom. 
So here are four brief applications that I want to share with you guys. And listen, I apologize. I know I'm like sharing a gazillion things with you. This is a sermon that I did where I had like 45 minutes and I'm condensing it to about 15 for you guys. I can send you a link if you want to send it out, if they want to hear it a little bit more slowly and with some additional content. But four things I want to encourage you guys to, to consider uh, for implications for your work. Uh, one is that you are called to be a royal priest. Okay, if you look at First uh, Peter, it talks about us being a royal priesthood, right? We get that concept actually out of Genesis, out of the cultural mandate. So as royalty, what do you do? You reflect the authority of God. So in whatever future industry you're in, think about how should the kingdom of God be reflected through my work? Whether you are in medicine or in finance or in engineering, you as a Christian have an opportunity to do God's kingdom work through your work and through your vocation. So you reflect the kingdom. So that's how we are royal and kingly or queenly, uh, but also we are called to be priests. And what was the job of the priest? The job of the priest was to mediate between God and people. So we mediate and we, in a sense, kind of broker that relationship in ministering the gospel to people. Second, uh, love your neighbor through your work. Um, October 31st is what? Also Reformation Day. I don't know if you guys knew that. Okay, It's also Reformation Day. Um, and Martin Luther, of course, the, the father of the Reformation. Here's what he says about the Lord's Prayer. And, and I love this, guys. He says that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Martin Luther says, yeah, God answers that prayer. And how does he do it? He answers it through the farmer. He answers through the baker, through the delivery person, and through the grocer. God doesn't just cause, hey guys, God doesn't just cause uh, bread, manna, to just drop out of heaven, right? He actually uses us, and he uses our love of neighbor as the way that we minister to each other. So you guys are going to work an estimated 90,000 hours in your lifetime. Okay, think about that, 90,000 hours. And a lot of Christians, what they do is they think, okay, I'm going to do my work, and then I'm going to serve God outside of that. But what if we shifted that and actually said, you know what, I've got 90,000 hours to give to the Lord through my work, and how am I going to invest? How am I going to grow in that? And how am I going to leverage what God has given me through my vocation to bless others? Third, worship at work. Okay, worship at work. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean you walk in with a boombox? If we still had those, I'd be rocking one right now. Uh, just listening to worship songs. You know, is that what you do? Do you just go around and, and try to catch people at that awkward moment at the water cooler so you can share the gospel? I don't know. Maybe. But what if you started to really approach your work as unto the Lord? So, guys, uh, as Nick shared in the beautiful introduction. Hold on. Appreciate you, man. Uh, I played soccer for Presbyterian College. I only played for three years and uh, decided not to play my sophomore year. And what happened that year was the Lord was really just convicting me of my pride. And uh, why was I playing? Because I liked the attention. And, uh, you know, there's some, we all like attention, so that's okay. But that was really my driving, my motivating factor. And I uh, felt the Lord calling me to step out. So I did not play my sophomore year. And you know what I did is I started a Bible study on the soccer team. And I traveled to every game just to encourage the guys and to support them. 
And, you know, a few years later, I mean, looking back now, um, I think we had a Bible study with 10 guys on the team. One guy ended up serving as a missionary in Iraq for 10 years. Another guy serving at a church, you know, here and there. So this was a sacrifice that the Lord called me to. But it was so interesting that that's when he gave me a ministry on the team. I started to bring my work, my soccer, my passion as unto the Lord, not just unto myself. And that is a shift that we have to do. Work unto the Lord. Guys, every time you step out on the field or on the court, whatever your sport is, play as unto the Lord. Play as an act of worship. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. God, I'm going to lift the weights for your glory. Doesn't mean you're going to quote Philippians 4.13 out of context, okay? But it means, God, I want to glorify you. You've given me this body. You've given me this platform. How can I honor you through this? And then finally, bring your work to worship. I don't know how often you've heard people say, hey, just check all your worries, all your cares, check them at the door, and just come in and worship God. Guys, where in the Bible does it say to handle your problems on your own? Nowhere. It says bring those things. The, the passage you guys are memorizing from Matthew 11, what does it say? If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. Bring me your burdens. Guys, bring your burdens from your training, from your sports, from your future vocations. Bring those burdens before the Lord. That is a part of who you are and who God has designed you to be. And you need to bring him the good as an offering. And you need to bring him the bad as, as, a, as a confession of your need for him in all things. If you have conflict with your teammates or your coworkers, bring those things before the Lord when you go to church on Sunday. If you get promoted or recognized, glorify God for that. Doesn't mean you have to give a big public speech, but in your heart, um, minister to him. I wanna close with just pointing out a gospel trajectory here for you guys, just to encourage you to think about the relationship between work, creation, and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Because of sin, the original place, Eden, the place where work and worship were one and the same, right? So if I were to ask the question, when they uh, tilled the garden, were they working or were they worshiping? The answer is yes. They were doing both things. So in the original design, our work and our worship belonged together. And now we see that it doesn't happen very often because of our sin. So because of sin, our work is now cursed. It's burdensome. It's endless, right? The ground that, that, we, that used to be lush and used to just naturally produce is fruitful. It, excuse me, it's no longer fruitful, fruitful, but it's now covered with thorns. So let me just encourage you guys with a, a few closing thoughts here. Are you suffering under the curse placed on your work, whatever that might be? Remember that there's one who took the curse upon himself for you. Is your work burdensome? There is one whose burden is light and he offers you rest. Are thorns choking the fruit of your labor? There's one who wore a, cor a, a, cord, a crown of thorns for you and it was beaten into his head. Are there injustices that flow in your teams and in your future workplace? There's one who is just and he will restore shalom. He will restore things to how they should be. Do you feel like your work is endless? There's one who says of his work, it is finished. Guys, Jesus has made a way for us 
back into the garden. The serpent will no longer rule there. The serpent will be crushed. And you and I, we have the opportunity to reflect that to the world. Excuse me. To the world around us. So 